Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt episode, uh, what the hell, I'll call it 181, Defining the Regressive Left. So I usually don't wade too deeply into politics on this show, so you might be wondering why I've decided to take on this topic. Well, if you're like me and you visit a lot of online political opinion sites or you consume a lot of atheist YouTube content, the phrase of the term regressive left is virtually inescapable. And if you're new to all this, you might be wondering why so many online atheists seemingly are preoccupied with talking about the quote-unquote regressive left. Well, primarily, I think it has to do with the conversation on Islam. But it's not limited to Islam. It can apply to conversations on things like race, feminism, and multiculturalism as well. There's some atheists who think, and rightly so, uh, I think many times, that other people in the so-called atheist community or on the left in general are too politically correct when it comes to Islam. They try to avoid or shut down conversation about things like radical Islam, negative aspects of Islamic doctrine, immigration, and sometimes they can even seem to imply, if not downright accuse others of being racist if they bring those things up. And ironically, it seems it was actually a Muslim who coined the phrase, specifically Muslim reformer Majid Nawaz, not Majid, but Majid. Uh, Someone I've spoken about before on the show, he's a former radical Islamist and also an associate of Sam Harris. The two have actually written a book together entitled Islam and the Future of Tolerance. But here's what Wikipedia has to say about Majid Nawaz and his coining of the term regressive left. Regressive left is a political epithet used by certain left-leaning commentators to negatively characterize a section of leftists who are accused of holding politically regressive views, as opposed to progressive, by tolerating illiberal principles and ideology for the sake of multiculturalism. Within the specific context of multiculturalism, British liberal activist Majid Nawaz used the term in 2012 in his memoir, Radical, My Journey Out of Islamist Extremism to describe quote-unquote well-meaning liberals and ideologically driven leftists in Great Britain who naively and, in quotes, ignorantly pandered to Islamist and help Islamist ideology to gain acceptance. In a 2015 video presentation on the internet forum Big Think, Nawaz elaborated on the meaning of the term, saying that it describes a section of the left that has, in his opinion, an inherent hesitation to challenge some of the bigotry that can occur within minority communities for the sake of political correctness, for the sake of tolerating what they believe is other cultures and respecting different lifestyles. Then continues to talk about the concept, Majid Nawaz's use of regressive left has been a part of his advocacy against Islamism, the literalist pole of Islam that places more emphasis on Sharia Islamic law, pan-Islamic political unity, and an Islamic state. Nawaz, who in 2007 renounced his previous association with the radical Islamist group Hizb-at-Tahrir, I think it is, probably butchered it, in favor of secular Islam, is the co-founder and chairman of Quilliam, a count, or maybe it's Killiam, a counter-extremist think tank based in London that seeks to challenge the narratives of Islamists. Nawaz has used regressive left to describe those left-leaning people who, in his opinion, pander to Islamism, which he defines as a global totalitarian theopolitical project. 
with the desire to impose any given interpretation of Islam over society as law, in which he opposes on the ground that any desire to impose any version of Islam over anyone, anywhere, ever is a fundamental violation of our basic civil liberties. According to Nawaz, such sympathizers of Islamism include atheists who are on the side of the Islamists defending Islamism in the name of cultural tolerance. In an October 2015 interview with political talk show host Dave Rubin, Nawaz elucidated further the reasoning behind his choice of the word regressive. He hypothesized that a section of the leftists genuinely believe that they are fighting an ideological war against neoconservative and neocolonialist foreign policies of Western governments, which promote state-organized violence and chaos in the form of wars and military invasions. On the contrary, when it comes to denouncing the randomized acts of violence of theocratic extremists, such as Islamists, the same leftists forego their duty to criticize such acts of violence and prioritize focusing on the bigger evil of state-sponsored violence and war. Sometimes they even make alliances with some of the most regressive theocratic and murdering regimes and organizations. Nawaz labels these people regressive leftists. He then cites the example of Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the British Labour Party, who has been historically very close to supporters of Islamist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah. In Nawaz's opinion, it is possible to denounce both neoconservative foreign policies, such as the Iraq War, which he had opposed, and theocratic extremism, but the regressive leftists failed to do so. According to Nawaz, the notion that Muslims cannot cope with criticism or mockery of Islam and only react violently is patronizing, self-pity-inspiring mollycoddling of the very Muslims it claims to serve and emancipate because it does not expect them to be civil and control their anger. The racism of low expectations lowers the moral standards of people within minorities seeking excuses if they happen to express, for example, misogyny, chauvinism, bigotry, or anti-Semitism, whilst holding members of the majority to universal liberal standards. Now I'll actually play a clip of Nawaz on the Rubin Report. And so what you've referred to is what I've come to refer to as the regressive left. And, uh, and the, what I mean by the regressive left is because there, you know, not all people on the left wing are regressive leftists, uh, just like not all Muslims are Islamists. And so what I mean by the regressive left are the, is this phenomenon of people on the left wing of the debate who, uh, who see between their duty, their ideological duty to challenge, uh, uh, you know, uh, foreign policy mistakes, American and British foreign policy mistakes, what they interpret as, you know, colonialism and neo, uh, neo-colonialism and neoconservatism. Mm-hmm. Um, they see it as their duty to challenge this, and then they see another uh, challenge, which is um, theocracies and, uh, and, you know, the Islamist ideology. And they, they have come to the, they've come to the, uh, to the view that you can't challenge both of these together, because if you were to challenge Islamist theocracy, you're, uh, you're supporting neoconservative foreign policy. Mm-hmm. So they've, in their minds, they've prioritized. They've said, you know, neoconservative foreign policy is a bigger evil. Organized violence and chaos in the form of military invasions is worse than randomized non-state actor violence and chaos. So we're going to go after, <clears throat> they believe they're engaged in a war. We're going to go after the, this is their mindset, we're going to go after the organized violence. And the reason why sometimes you see duplicity in their statements is because they genuinely believe it's an ideological war. And so it's necessary to even engage in propaganda uh, to defeat this bigger evil that they believe in, which is the organized violence and war. Now, and, and so why I call them regressive 
is because in doing so, they make alliances with some of the most regressive, yeah. uh, theocratic, fascist, totalitarian, barbaric, murdering and justifies of murderous regimes across the world, right? So, you know, whether it's um, Hezbollah, uh, a terrorist organization that's currently fighting alongside the dictator Assad uh, uh, to fight with uh, against the Syrian people. And the reason I use the example of Hezbollah, because the, the man who's just been elected to the, to the Labour Party leadership in the United Kingdom, who's, uh, who's uh, actually born of this regressive left phenomenon, mm -hmm. has, has been, uh, historically, has been very close uh, to groups such as, uh, supporters of groups such as Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm, I'm citing this example. So whether it's Hezbollah or whether it's Hamas, you know, on the one hand, I can see the frustration of people uh, who want uh, a, a, a two-state solution, sure. which includes a secure, free and independent Israel and a secure and free and independent Palestine. But that frustration shouldn't legitimize uh, the uh, uh, supporting an organization that has at the heart of its policy uh, the legitimization of targeting civilians. And so what's happened is why I call them regressive is that they've allied in their uh, anti-colonial uh, prioritization with some of the most regressive theocratic organizations uh, that are out there in the world. Yeah. And, and then, and then, in, and then they, fear, they feel that anyone who, uh, who criticizes those organizations is, is by definition with the neoconservatives, so they must attack them. And that's what's going on. And I take the view that actually you can criticize, I, I oppose the Iraq war and the invasion of Iraq from my jail cell in Egypt. Mm -hmm. I have never supported the invasion of Iraq. I've never supported uh, neoconservatism. I'm a member of the Liberal Democrats in the UK. I've never been a member of any conservative party. I've never been a conservative uh, or, or supporter of wars in that sense in my life. So, so you can oppose those things. At the same time, you can oppose um, uh, theocratic fascism. We, you know, we can hold two thoughts at the same time, and it's not impossible to do, and I encourage everyone to, tr to try it. Yeah, I love All right, now I'd like to go back and touch on what Majid said in that wiki article regarding the paternal or patronizing attitude which some quote-unquote regressives adopt when talking about Muslims. There's this idea that it's all right to lampoon Christianity, say, but Islam is off-limits and is to be treated with kid gloves. And as an atheist, I think we should be allowed to criticize all religions. Nothing's off the table, nothing sacred, pun somewhat intended. There's this idea that criticizing Islam is somehow punching down, which when you think about it is rather paternalistic. It's as if you're implying Muslims are children who can't handle criticism. But to illustrate the point, let me play a clip of Steve Shives defending Islam that I found on Autopsy 87's channel. Like, it's not, it's, it's, it's great that we want to speak up against it. And it's great that we're, we, we find it just revolting, the idea that, that people are treated so horribly under these regimes like that. Of, of course we do. But fixing that is a long-term thing. And one of the things I think that is necessary to fix that in the long term is to not is to not further alienate those people and to not give them reasons to run further in to fundamentalism, um, to encourage those more moderate voices in their own countries and to reach out and to make friends with those people and to make sure that we can find points of points of agreement and build bridges and be on their side. And when I'm just saying when someone like me makes a video, that is really, really super harsh on Islam. I had better make damn sure that I've got that thing exactly right, because Why, it though? is a tiny because it is because it because it's a tightrope. 
because someone like me who doesn't who has no experience in Islamic culture personally and doesn't know a lot about Islam in general other other than just you know the basic sort of objections that I have to it uh, I have no experience I have no real expertise and it would be incredibly easy for me to inadvertently say something in in a video that in my heart's in the right place I think I'm saying the right thing but it winds up being really really damaging and harmful and counterproductive so do you think um, it's wrong for someone like Josh to make a video about Christianity since he was never raised in it well no but he he was raised in a, in a Christian dominated culture so that makes it okay just because he's raised in a Christian dominated culture well, it doesn't matter if he's actually misrepresenting that culture that it just matters that he's in a no, dominated culture there's that and the fact that he the fact that he lives in a Christian dominated culture and he is making a video that is criticizing that culture means that he's punching up not punching down uh, if, if he if he were mm. if, if he were an atheist who was living in in a Muslim culture and he made a video criticizing Islam obviously it would be a completely different situation obviously then he would also be punching up because he is he's going after the dominant religious institution in but, his Keep walking on those eggshells, Steve. Another example of this ultra-PC paternalistic coddling of Muslims sticks with me. I've spoken about this one on the show a couple of times. I was watching The Young Turks and Ben Mankiewicz, Dave Rubin, before he left, obviously, and Jimmy Dore were talking about Charlie Hebdo. Dave Rubin, and I think Jimmy too, perhaps, uh, somewhat surprisingly, were on the side of free speech and they were defending Charlie Hebdo, or at least Dave was. But Mankiewicz got really hot under the collar and was trying to say that Charlie Hebdo picked on Islam more than other religions, shouting Dave down when he tried to explain that the publication regularly satirized other religions too. And I've done this before, but for the YouTube viewers, I'll include some visual examples of all the numerous uh, times when Charlie Hebdo satirized the Pope, Judaism, and so on. And that moment really stuck with me. And, and there were a couple of other moments, too, where I found myself siding with Dave and wondering how long he would remain on the show. His views seemed to be increasingly more and more at odds with those of the other hosts. And speaking of that, for a long time, Dave was taking the high road, refraining from openly criticizing Jenk, and I think even implying that they were still friends. But I think that's finally changed. He recently denounced Jenk's treatment of Sam Harris uh, while talking to Gad Sad and Lalo Dagash uh, during an episode of his show, The Rubin Report, and he pretty much called Jenk a liar. I'll play the clip now. Or, or political theory. No, no, no. For some reason, new atheists write a book and it can have a negative effect on people. Yeah. But religion can't for some reason. It's, it's baffling. But, but that, that's the thing is what I've seen in the more that we've engaged these guys, all of them, and the ones that I've engaged, the ones that you've engaged, that even what they do now is I'll see them now arguing the same things that we've been arguing for for months. So, for example, when the whole thing blew up on real time and Sam was saying, you know, there are, there are degrees, look at the polls, there are right. hardcore Islamists, there are nominal Muslims that don't care about the religion, there are, you know, showing this, and he said it's circles, right? He said it's circles of this. Well, then, after trashing him and slandering him and lying about him for months, Cenk Uger then goes on his show and shows the exact circles 
Except guess what he used? Squares. Squares. Yeah, I did a squares. Clip, a clip comparing these two. Within like 30 seconds, I show exactly Sam Harris talking about uh, jihadis, Islamists, <laughs> moderates. And he said, there's concentric circles. He said this to Ben Affleck. And then Cenk, almost a year later, after calling him a bigot for saying exactly that, he called him, you know. So is that progress? Like, is that so I guess it's safe to say their friendship's probably in the crapper. And it's funny, uh, it's not just these hard-nosed, anti-feminist, anti-Muslim YouTubers who are using this term regressive left. It's also some real lefties like Dave Rubin and even David Pakman. I think in an attempt to keep my thoughts neat and organized, I'll cover different topics of discussion where we usually hear the charge regressive leftist thrown about. And I'll give my thoughts on each one as we go. I guess I'll start with the regressive left and Islam. That's the biggie. Well, as a non-believer, a skeptic, an atheist, choose your label, I come from the point of view that all religion should be susceptible to criticism. No religion should get a free pass in the name of political correctness. But I think that criticism should be tempered with a certain measure of decorum and human decency. And I guess what I mean by that is, in my opinion, we should be free to criticize the quote-unquote holy texts and tenets of a religion, or to even lampoon and satirize a religion. But we shouldn't foment hate. I don't mind fomenting hate against ISIS and other radicals, but you don't want to generalize and demonize everyone who happens to be a Muslim to the point where you have people who don't know the difference, you know, beating up Sikhs in the street or harassing innocent people just because they're wearing uh, a religious headdress or a Muslim garb or something. But things like draw Muhammad contest and Charlie Hebdo or pointing out the antiquated and barbaric nature of certain parts of the Quran, that's perfectly fine by me. That's free speech, in my opinion. And as I said, I think we need to be free to criticize all religions. And I think that's a pretty fair and measured view, if I do say so myself. <laughs> you know, I, I believe we should be free to criticize and even satirize Islam, but I'm not frothing at the mouth and saying Muslims suck or whatever. Uh, you know, as long as you're not trying to convert me and you're not chopping people's heads off or, enab or enabling those who do, you're not my enemy and I'm not going to tell you you suck. Uh, live and let live. That's my personal line or distinction, I think. But people like Steve Shives and his ilk who try to make people feel guilty for daring to criticize Islam or suggesting that Islam should get a pass because Muslims are a quote-unquote minority group, uh, that's a bridge too far. It smacks of political correctness and intellectual dishonesty. Muslims may very well be a minority here in the West, but they're a group with roughly, what, 1.6 billion adherents, a venerable religion that's been around since the 7th century. I think they should be able to handle some criticism uh, of their doctrine from atheists or whoever. They should be susceptible, as I said, to the same criticism that, that we subject Christianity or any other faith to. And that's another thing that drives me me crazy. We're supposed to be atheists. Uh, our modus operandi is criticizing religion and its supernatural claims, its hypocrisy, and sometimes even its barbarism. But suddenly, one religion gets a pass. This one group should be handled with kid gloves. And for some reason, Judaism came to mind. And myself, and I think a lot of 
other people in general approached the Jewish people with respect and deference and perhaps with a spirit of sympathy and solidarity. And I think in part this has to do with the somewhat tragic history of the Jewish people, conquered and pushed around by the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, of course the Romans, and, you know, before uh, the, the Egyptians too, if there's any truth to the Exodus narrative, driven from their homeland following the destruction of the Second Temple, scattered throughout Europe, subjected to prejudice and pogrom throughout the Middle Ages, and then centuries of anti-Semitism finally culminating in one of history's greatest nightmares, the Holocaust. So I think this history of hardship is partly why many of us tend to have a deep respect for the Jewish people, and also I'm sure the shared theology has something to do with it too. I'm a non-believer, but I was raised Christian, specifically Catholic, and of course our Old Testament is essentially the Hebrew Bible. And yet, despite that respect for the Jewish people themselves and their history, most of us atheists feel pretty comfortable ripping into the Old Testament, which is essentially a body of Hebrew stories. We'll poke fun of Moses in the burning bush. We'll point out the barbarism of things like God killing everyone with a flood, the nasty bits about war and genocide, the contradictions and absurdities, and yet we can still deeply respect the Jews as a people. I should note that many atheists happen to be Jewish. And strangely, um, three of the most high-profile atheists happen to all be, uh, I guess you'd say, half-Jewish. Bill Maher, Sam Harris, and the late Christopher Hitchens all have or had Jewish mothers. And I think the fact that maybe Jews don't seem to be as preoccupied with the afterlife as Christians might also help to explain why there's so many Jewish atheists. David Silverman, there's another high-profile atheist of Jewish ancestry. So I guess the point I'm trying to make in my own long-winded way is that we should be able to have some basic respect for people as human beings, and yet at the same time be free to criticize or even satirize their man-made religious beliefs. It might be a bit of a balancing act, but we shouldn't let political correctness get in the way of calling BS on man-made belief systems and supernatural claims, especially when such beliefs are being taken literally and leading to real-world violence. And that ties into something I've been noticing about myself lately. I have this kind of split-brained approach to religion. When taken symbolically, I think religions can be charming and inspirational, kind of like those dead religions we now lump into the bin-labeled mythology. But when religions are taken literally, that's when they start to seem absurd, vulgar, and dangerous. And it's usually literal belief or dogmatic adherence to a religious teaching that leads to death or violence. Whether it be Christian scientists depriving their children of life-saving medical care, or jihadists soaring through the necks of living captives. Well, technically, if Christian scientists followed the Bible more closely, they probably would approve of medicine. There are numerous passages that at least metaphorically mention physicians and medical healing in a positive light. Hell, according to tradition, the gospel writer Luke was supposedly a physician and a uh, traveling companion of Paul, if I remember correctly. So maybe that was a bad example. Although it's still literal belief in church doctrine that leads them to deprive their children of medical care, sometimes to the point of death. But you get my point. Literal belief in nonsense, bad. Uh, man, I'm digressing. 
So I guess to reiterate, I think we should separate beliefs from people to some degree, but we should have some basic human respect for the adherents of a given religion, as long as they're not hurting anyone or spewing hateful rhetoric. You know, don't knock the Bible out of grandma's hand, don't spray paint muzzy suck on your local mosque. That's what I mean by basic human decency or respect. Low bar, I know. So do I sound like a regressive yet? I don't know. Hopefully not. But I guess now I'll move on to the regressive left and race. So first I'll talk specifically about race and Islam. Now, even though Islam's not a race, we still hear people who criticize Islam often being smeared with charges of racism. It's racist and gross, to quote Ben Affleck. And the argument people offer is that since the majority of Muslims are brown, you're being racist against brown people when you criticize Islam. And this bugs me because it just shuts down conversation. And to make things worse, these accusations of racism often come from other atheists. When once again, atheists, we should be free to criticize religion, all religions. It's kind of our thing. Most of us probably became atheists because we woke up to the BS and realized religions are man-made belief systems. And you know, it's hard to have an honest conversation about things like Islam and extremism or Islam and women's rights if people shut the conversation down before it starts with accusations of racism or insisting that this one religion somehow gets a pass. Now I'll move on to the regressive left and African-American slash black crime. And to be honest, I like talking about things like religion, spirituality, ancient history, things like that. That's my wheelhouse. The subject of race, unless we're talking about uh, it in some scientific context, because I also like discussing science and biology, etc., Outside of that, the topic of race is extremely boring to me. I don't even like talking about it. And yet, I myself, dare listeners, have been called a regressive leftist for my stance on race. My view on race is essentially this. There's definitely some minor genetic differences and aesthetic physical differences between different groups. Blacks are susceptible to sickle cell. Ashkenazi Jews are predisposed to Tay-Sachs. Some groups have dark skin and kinky hair. Some groups have light skin and straight hair. But I don't know if those differences are significant enough to merit breaking us into different racial categories. In fairness, it might just boil down to semantics. I've read a lot of articles on biology and race, and I've read some of them on the show. I'll abstain from doing that now, since I'm already being characteristically long-winded. But there's thinking in the scientific community that we're all so closely related that race might not even be a valid scientific concept. But I'm sure there's other scientists and researchers who hold beliefs to the contrary. See my disastrous episodes on the work of uh, researchers Rushton and Jensen. But this isn't what got me called regressive. Many of you are probably familiar with the YouTube channel Atheism is Unstoppable. Actually, he has three or four channels, and he's also known simply as Atheist Rue. And if you've already heard me tell the story, I apologize for subjecting you to it again. I had discussed him in an episode I entitled YouTube Atheist, in which I discussed, you guessed it, YouTube Atheist. And he seemed to enjoy what I had to say. He even included a clip of me talking about him in one of his episodes. But his flying monkeys jumped the gun and thought they were supposed to bomb my channel. When Rue found out, he very graciously apologized for the misunderstanding and said he thought it was clear that I was friendly to him and his channel. But shortly after, his tune changed a bit when he was listening to one of my episodes and heard me replying to one of his subs regarding the topic of black crime. 
The subscriber in question heard me say something about how I question the validity of the concept of race. And he said something to the effect that you may not believe in race, but you better be aware of what neighborhood you're in. Meaning that, as a pasty white boy, I probably don't want to find myself in the wrong neighborhood after sundown. Might get my ass beat. And I totally agree. People are tribal, even if race isn't biologically real. And I'm not saying with 100% certainty that it is or isn't. I'm not a biologist. It's definitely very real, at least as a social construct. People divide themselves among ethnic lines, skin color, religion, etc., and the concept of race has very real and sometimes terrible consequences, the enslavement of blacks or attempted genocide of the Jews, etc. But I replied that I agreed with him about not wanting to find yourself in the quote-unquote wrong neighborhood, and I went on to say that I thought inner-city crime and poverty doesn't exist because the minority groups in question, maybe blacks or Hispanics, are inferior, but there's probably socioeconomic causes. In the case of blacks, things like slavery, Jim Crow, and segregation might be factors in the sense that they may have lingering social effects. That and just in general, if one group is seen as the other or inferior and is segregated and marginalized, that's got to have a lasting effect, or so I would imagine. And as I made sure I said, that's not an excuse for committing crime. It just helps explain the context or historical root causes of why a certain group might be more entrenched in poverty and crime than another. Once again, not an excuse. If you commit a violent crime, you still have to be held responsible for your actions. We're all partly shaped by environmental factors, but at the end of the day, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. But I think understanding the historical root causes of a problem can help give you a better understanding of the whole picture and help to try to formulate a solution. But of course, whatever the cause is, groups mired in poverty and crime also have to do their part. And even though it's easier said than done, they have to try to enact change and try to lift themselves up as well. So I think we should have sympathy for the plight of such groups, but that doesn't mean we excuse crime and that we don't punish violent criminals. But it was essentially a statement like that that led Atheist Rue to call me a regressive beta male, or at least suggest that I was taking a regressive beta male stance. Once again, don't even like talking about race, but somehow got sucked into it. I don't know, do I sound like a regressive on race to you guys? Let me know. And one last word on race. I was recently watching a debate between Sargon of Akkad and some dude from the Majority Report, not Sam Cedar. And Sargon said something about race that actually resonated with me a bit and, and made me think of things a bit differently. And I'm paraphrasing very loosely, but I think his point was that if we really want to move forward into a post-racial society, we have to stop treating different groups differently. We have to stop coddling certain groups or holding them to different standards. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me in a way. My only concern would be that like many things, it's easier said than done. That idea works for those of us who want to live in a post-racial society, but what about everyone else? How do we drag all the racist and race baiters into the 21st century with us? But anyway, uh, I'm sick of talking about race. On to the regressive left and feminism. So if regressive means moving backwards instead of forwards, then I think the regressive label may apply to some aspects of the type of modern feminism we find on YouTube, Tumblr, and in universities, with the trigger warning, safe spaces, manspreading, etc., and I don't know if I lost my friend and listener, Anonymous Steve, over this stuff. He heard me kind of scoffing about trigger warnings and so on and pleaded with me to rethink my position. And I believe he's actually a therapist or a psychologist. I forget which. 
But I thought that he had a, a point that these things can sometimes have real applications for quote-unquote real victims. For instance, if you have someone who's been a victim of a violent sexual assault or was horribly abused as a child, and they're trying to piece their life back together, I can see the value of trigger warnings and safe spaces. But for normal college kids, never been abused, you just don't want anyone to offend your delicate, overly politically correct sensibilities, and I think it's ridiculous. And I never thought I'd see this, but here's a clip of TYT making fun of this stuff. They're defeating the purpose of higher education, okay? If you are a student who is in college right now, and you need the safe spaces, and you need to halt conversations that make you feel uncomfortable, please, for the love of God, leave that college campus and do whatever else you want to do, right? You don't deserve an education because you have no interest in an education. Education means that you are going to be challenged. It means that you're going to be forced to think critically. It means that sometimes you'll, you'll be offended by someone else's ideas. But if you can't rely on professors to educate you and you're going to sit there and tell a professor how you're going to educate them, you're in the wrong environment, okay? If one of my, if one of my students came to me and said, I don't want to talk about that particular political issue because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, then I have no interest in teaching you. Get the hell out of my classroom. And if the administration's not going to stand behind me, I have no interest in teaching at that university. It's that simple. I want to teach. It's about education. It's about challenging ideas. And we're, we're coddling students right now. I remember at, at our university, there was Republicans who were mad uh, that there were liberal uh, political science professors. Uh, and they would give them facts about Republican presidents, right? Now remember back then I'm a Republican, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, well, okay, but let's listen, right, and see if that's true or untrue. Uh, and you know, if he's got an opinion about Ronald Reagan, that's one thing. If he's got facts about Ronald Reagan, that's a completely different thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then there were liberals who were mad at another uh, political science professor who used to work for Nixon and was deeply Republican. And they didn't want to hear from him, right? Neither side wanted to hear from the other side, right? right? Of course. Uh, I was crazy. I took both classes, right? Because I actually wanted to get an education and wanted to hear the two different perspectives, right? And and yes, they did. The liberal professor was liberal, okay? Mm -hmm. And the conservative professor was also conservative. There's no question about it, right? Okay, so what? My brain didn't explode. I didn't become unsafe listening to the Nixon professor or the anti-Reagan professor. Yep. I might have even opened my mind a little bit. Here's what happens uh, when you're a critical thinker and when you're actually interested in being educated, when you're actually an intelligent person, right? You, you hear something that makes you think, and it could make you feel offended, it could make you feel good, it doesn't matter, it, it provokes some sort of emotion, right? And what you do is you delve deeper and, and look into that issue and figure out what the truth is, right? Like, not every professor says everything correctly. We're all human beings, sometimes we make mistakes, right? But if someone is challenging you in some way, you should use that as an opportunity to educate yourself further. Look deeper into that issue, do your own research, and you learn a lot more that way. You're not gonna learn if you sit in a classroom where someone's constantly telling you what you wanna hear. I was naked with my wife. <laughs> oh, okay, ooh, don't let the kids know. I, your deviant behavior makes me very uncomfortable. I needed a trigger warning before you told me that. <laughs> well, actually, that you might have needed a trigger warning for. This is all of a sudden, this is not a very safe space. <laughs>
Yeah, so I think if the goal of feminism is to empower and embolden women, then going overboard with the safe spaces and the trigger warnings and focusing on things like man-spreading and whether or not video game characters' butts are covered, you're going in the opposite direction. You're conditioning yourselves to be overly sensitive victims. And speaking of Anita Sarkeesian, the amazing atheist did something interesting recently. When he saw that she was earning another boatload of cash for her new video series, he decided to start a crowdfunding effort to help women who are actually oppressed. I forget the name of the charity organization, but it's an established charity that helps oppressed women in places like the Middle East, Africa, parts of Asia, and he's already raised tens of thousands of dollars, so pretty cool. And if you're not familiar, Anita Sarkeesian is a self-proclaimed feminist who rails against what she sees as misogyny and sexism in video games. And she raised about $150,000 to make a series of videos that tackles the subject of sexism in video games. The series was planned out ahead of time. So the people contributing thought they were funding a lengthy video series, maybe 10 videos or something, I forget. But she received all that money, much more than her original goal. And over a span of three or four years, only produced about three videos. And now she's trying to raise money for a new series. And just to give you my take on feminism, so you don't think I'm some misogynist ass for picking on trigger warnings and Anita Sarkeesian... I was raised to respect others. I was raised to show women the same respect I would show anyone else. For most of my life, I held a very positive view of the word feminism. I've always thought equal rights for women, of course. The concept that women are somehow inferior to men never even occurred to me. We're different when it comes to things like physical strength, uh, generally speaking. We have different reproductive anatomies, uh, of course, some hormonal differences, but we're equal in what I would call our inherent worth as human beings. The word feminism didn't begin to have any negative associations for me until I started learning about all this ultra-PC, third-wave feminist stuff. The man-spreading, uh, complaining about cleavage in video games when there's women in the third world and in the Middle East being subjected to... FGM, arranged marriages, and honor killings. And in fairness, I know this mindset isn't representative of all feminists. I know there's different strains of feminism, for lack of a better word, and that there's a lot of good, rational, mature feminists out there who are concerned with all the horrible and very real forms of oppression that women are being subjected to around the world. One thing that drives me crazy is when people like Aaron Raw and Steve Shive say, in very black and white terms, almost a kind of ultimatum, if you're not a feminist, you're a sexist. If you analyze my thoughts and feelings regarding women, technically I probably am a feminist, but I don't want anyone trying to dictate what I call myself. Maybe it's old-fashioned, but I'm a guy. I don't I don't feel like walking around referring to myself as a feminist. Makes me feel like I have a string hanging out of me. Ha <laughs> ha! Bet you didn't see that coming. Like Steve Shives. But in seriousness, as I said, I think despite whatever differences there are between the sexes, we're equal in our inherent worth as human beings. And of course women deserve all the same rights and respect as men. Of course. It should go without saying. So finally, on to the regressive left and immigration. I guess I'll start by quickly giving my thoughts on immigration in general. So it's probably obvious from my accent that I hail from the American Northeast. I'm predominantly of Italian and Irish descent. And I know that I wouldn't be here if America hadn't taken a chance on my immigrant ancestors. And I like that America is a melting pot. Uh, of course, 
We have indigenous peoples that were here before anyone else. Then the Europeans came with black slaves in tow. And due to the proximity of the other Americas, we have a large Hispanic presence. And of course now, immigrants from Asia and the Middle East. I like the fact that I can go out and see all sorts of faces, hear all sorts of accents. And uh, I judge people I come in contact with, not on the color of their skin or their accents, but on their character and how they treat me, or at least that's what I try to do. But, uh uh-oh, I can hear you all waiting for the other shoe to drop. Despite the fact that I like that America has this melting pot identity, I'm sympathetic to other countries that have reservations about immigration, and I think other nations should be free to set their own immigration policies without being guilted by the rest of the world. You have Germany and these Scandinavian countries trying to absorb vast amounts of immigrants at once. And I can see how someone in one of those European countries with an ancient and homogenous culture might be afraid, uh, although some might call it racist or xenophobic, that letting in too many immigrants or refugees at once might have a negative impact. And when you see things like the Cologne New Year's Eve attacks, you can't really blame them. So in general, I think immigration laws should be tempered with humanity but they should also be tempered with a spirit of common sense and practicality. Can you successfully assimilate the amount of immigrants you're letting in? Are there safety concerns, i.e. terrorism, radicalism, etc.? Are there cultural differences that could be a problem, especially if you're taking in large groups of people at a time? But in closing, as far as this whole, you know, this whole label, uh, regressive leftist goes, yeah, I think there are times when it definitely fits, but I'm not the type of person that really goes in for name-calling. If I think there's something wrong with your perspective or with your stance on an issue... I'll try to break it down logically and let you know exactly what I think is wrong with your position. I think like the way feminists sometimes throw the word misogynist or patriarchy around too often. Maybe I I think people can also sometimes throw the term regressive left around too often. And when you get in the habit of just, you know, slinging epithets and labels at people, sometimes it can become a kind of shortcut to thinking, you know. Instead of really taking on what the person's saying intellectually, ah, you're a regressive leftist, you know. I'm not saying you guys can't use the term. I ain't the boss of you. <laughs> I'm just, you know, letting you know what my where I'm coming from personally. And if you guys listen to the show regularly, you're probably aware that I'm not one of these uh, hyperbolic characters that screams and name calls. Uh, and I tend to just try to logically explain, you know, where I'm coming from and what my thoughts are on any given issue. So that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that right now. You can check out Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Just look for The Week in Doubt. You can check out the archives going all the way back to the first episode. You can subscribe to the show or rate it via iTunes. If you want to support the show monetarily, there's a PayPal widget on the Podbean page. There's that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekindoubt. And you can support the show by pledging as little as 99 cents a month. All right, thanks. And until next week. Thank you.